from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Tyler Moyer, founder of Kumo Travel here in San Antonio. You may wonder, why do we have a travel company on CyberTalk Radio? Well, he's going to talk uh, some about what they do with the social and interactive travel. That This uh, travel, when you're out there online and uh, taking a trip, uh, there's lots of information that you're sharing uh, and that information needs to stay safe. If it ends up in the hands of uh, bad actors, there's uh, all sorts of things uh, that they can do. We'll cover uh, some of the things those bad actors could do with your travel information and how you should think about uh, some of that travel security in the second half of the program after the bottom of the hour break. Uh, to get uh, started, though, and kick the program off here, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, how did you uh, decide to start a travel company? Well, the travel company actually came about when actually I was starting my travel plans. It actually started in 2012. Um, I call it uh, my trip. My epic trip was seven and seven. I wanted to go to all seven continents in seven months and see all the wonders of the world, but without using an airplane. And so most of my friends, they're like, you're crazy. And so I'm pretty crazy. So my original idea was I should create a blog or maybe a website, have the whole world map on there, my path of where I should go. And maybe my friends and family kind of give me suggestions on where to go and where not to go. And so that was my original idea. And then as I backpacked personally through Asia, Europe, and South America, I realized that a lot of other people had issues traveling also. So even though there's a lot of information online, people like to interact with each other. And so that's why people go to hostels. They try to go to local areas to meet other people to get suggestions from them. And so that's what actually kind of validated my whole business idea. So do you still like being on boats? Or are you done with boats after the seven on seven? Well, actually, it's funny. Everybody asks me if I've done it. I haven't done it yet. And it was either spend the money to do that or spend the money to start the business. So I opted to start the business, but I do plan on taking that trip. Okay, so you, you've made it down to South America, though, it sounds like. Right. Yeah, it, so you've hit a couple of the continents up, but you've not, you've not done the boat trip yet across one of the oceans. Well, I've actually flown. So I, I've actually cheated on the other times. So I've actually accomplished and traveled the six of the seven continents. So the only place I'm missing is Antarctica. So, yeah. But I, that's kind of expensive. I've talked to a few people that have gone. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's tricky to get down there for sure. Uh, and there's not much to see there. Definitely. You no, know, unless you're a scientist and then you want to look up at space um, or look up at the atmosphere and do some atmospheric study. But, uh, not much else going on down there or the uh, migration of the penguins, but you can watch a movie about that as well. Right. I, don't, I only wanted to go there. Just say I've been there. Yeah. So go down to Tierra del Fuego. There's got to be a ferry boat that just goes back and forth over there and charges people. A couple thousand of, dollars. A couple yeah. thousand bucks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you, you've started this travel company and this is like complex travel. It sounds like not just uh, to go uh, help folks uh, pick a flight to go from here to Disneyland. Right, right. And so the problem that I usually create to kind of have people understand what I'm trying to solve is when we all travel and we all know that planning a trip is difficult and it's very time consuming. And so if you were to travel or create a trip to a place you've never been and you have no family or friends, the average person like you and I, we typically go online. We have four to five windows open. You have flights, hotels, and trying to figure out what you're going to do once you actually get there. At the end of the day, or maybe at the 
end of the week or two, you have a plan, you know where you're going to be going, what you're going to be doing, but you're not 100% confident. So without friends and family, you can't validate if that stuff is still relevant. So if you run into the issue like I have, that's the problem that I'm solving with Kumo. So, I mean, and this is because like if you go online to a lot of these places that have reviews, the reviews are not necessarily trustworthy. Well, not necessarily. They can be trustworthy, but if you travel, the one statement that I always say that people are, I agree, is like traveling is always changing. So what's good now, it's not always good in six to 12 months. It's always changing. So sometimes those reviews don't change fast enough. Yeah. And, and even some of the, the stuff doesn't stay um, all the way up to date. I, I made a trip uh, out to New Orleans, found a new restaurant I really liked. I went back and uh, took a, an Uber over there and uh, all of a sudden the restaurant was gone. And uh, so, yeah, then I took the car back and went back down and went and found somewhere else to go eat. So, uh, yeah, this is, is one where the real time and updating uh, folks are trying to do that. And New Orleans is a fairly heavily trafficked city in the U.S. I imagine if, yeah, you get down and you're you're going to um, more, uh, I'll call them exotic locations, if it's uh, you're traveling here from San Antonio, Texas, or if you're listening to us uh, on 1200 WAI here in the middle of the U.S., uh, exotic could be Southeast Asia. But if you live in Southeast Asia, exotic might be San Antonio, Texas. So it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, but the the information uh, online and the accuracy and updating, unless you're in South Korea, um, a lot of those other places are probably not getting updated at the frequency that a, a travel destination would be here in the U.S. Right. And so that's why I'm kind of... Um, using two different uh, paths. So I'm allowing the information that's on these platforms, on these review systems, but also having the capability to allow other people to give suggestions. So the whole kind of elevator pitch or the explanation of what Kumo does. So Kumo Travel is the one place we can book and plan your entire trip from start to finish while allowing other real people to give you comments and suggestions. So imagine social media meets travel in a sense. But also when you plan your trip on the platform, it's going to show you other people that can be there at the same time allowing you to connect and actually meet other real people through the platform. Yeah. It sounds like Facebook should have this. Like, this should be Facebook travel. You probably don't want them to build it yet, but it, it just seems like the kind of family thing that they would like to do to get out of uh, politics and world news and some of the things that make people uh, get angry on their platform uh, into more of a thing where they're sharing stories with their families. I guess you can plug in and integrate. You probably have a Facebook page for Gumo to help people um, get in there and use that platform to reach their friends. Uh, but yeah, that's one that where I wonder if they ever eventually head this way. There, so there's no direct competitor because a lot of people is like, who is your competitors? There are not, none that are necessarily uh, direct competitors, but there are a lot of competitors that do different aspects of what I'm doing. Yeah. So usually when I explain to people, it's basically like Facebook, TripAdvisor, Kayak, and Yelp all put together for the purpose of travel. And that's what my platform is. And that's what also made it much more difficult to create my MVP, which I understand what it is and all the developers like my business idea, but they're like, okay, that's a big project. So what is your MVP? I was like, that is my MVP. Yeah. So for, for those uh, out there listening that haven't heard the uh, entrepreneur term, MVP there is uh, not Kawhi Leonard. Uh, we do love him and uh, hopefully he wins one of those here in the league and not just a finals MVP soon, but an MVP is a minimum viable product. So like, what are the basic pieces you've got to put together to where uh, someone's going to use your product, pay you some money for it, enjoy it, tell you that, hey, this is great, thank you, um, and you've got a business up and going from there. Right. Yeah. So uh, what led you uh, up in life to wanting to uh, and having the kind of time to think about, I'm going to go take this seven-month trip? What were you doing before that? 
Well, I, I was currently actually in the army. I was actually sitting in Afghanistan. So even though you have a lot of time on your hands to do your actual job, but you have you also have a lot of time to actually just kind of daydream. So I was actually in that process of possibly transitioning out of the military. So I was like, what am I going to do when I get out of the military? And so one of the things that uh, the military allowed me to do was travel. I mean, I got to go see a lot of places I didn't want to, like maybe like Kazakhstan, Kuwait, and uh, Afghanistan. But I saw a lot of other places too. So that was the kind of the inspiration of it all was the military basically took me to places I've never been, made me kind of explore and see what's out there. And then once I started exploring, I realized that the world is so big and I need to start traveling now. But I know America, a lot of Americans probably wait a little too late and they start realizing there's so much out there. And it's a lot easier to travel when you're younger, too. Yeah, the uh, the yeah, traveling at, at age, you, you have the money, um, but some of the things like from a you may not have the uh, energy, especially if you're going to go up to Peru to go see Machu Picchu or something. It's high in altitude. And if you've lived in San Antonio your whole life, being at 11,000 feet uh, may be a terrible experience. Right. Yeah, because the, the problem that I always say that people have is they have two things. Either they have a lot of time but no money because they're not working, or they have a lot of money because they're always working but no time. So trying to find that uh, harmony and figuring out that good balance is the, uh, the difficult part. Cool. So you, you got out and you decided to uh, to go start and found a business as a, a veteran entrepreneur. So we uh, we had the Bunker Labs folks, and for the listeners out there, uh, we had them on the radio uh, with us uh, a few weeks back. And uh, you can listen to uh, that replay or rebroadcast on our YouTube channel, uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com, as well as on iTunes podcasts or Pocket Cast on an Android device. Uh, so they're a, a program to help veteran entrepreneurs get their businesses up and going. Uh, they're in a, a handful of cities here across the, the U.S. now, and, uh, and San Antonio is one of those. Did you guys work with them at all, or have you talked with the Bunker Labs team? I'm actually working hand-in-hand with Jonathan Sabrina in Austin. So I'm actually part of their cohort with the Bunker Labs, which is the first one here in Austin. And so, yeah, they definitely huge asset. Yeah. So how did you find out about Bunker Labs as, as you uh, decided to separate from the military, uh, welcome your way over here to civilian life, and then start a business and then run into Bunker Labs? Where did they reach you or how did you find them? Well, the one thing that a lot of people probably know or maybe don't know is that the veteran community is very tight knit. So there's a lot of information sharing, a lot of friends that know other people. And so through that networking chain, I ended up meeting uh, Jonathan and Sabrina through Bunker Labs. And because Austin, I chose Austin out of all the locations once I transitioned out of the military because it's known for a very, very uh, bright uh, tech scene. And so e- it was either San Francisco or Austin. I, already, I was living in Fort Hood, Texas, which is only an hour north of uh, Austin. So I was more familiar with Austin. My older brother lives in San Francisco. You have to give up your left leg and your arm to live there temporarily in a little cardboard box. So I kind of opted to stay here in, in Austin. So through that uh, decision-making and then the network of friends I had, uh, Bunker Labs is one of the things that constantly popped up. And so I sought them out and very, very, uh, they're very open-minded and very uh, friendly. So I was able to basically get integrated really well. Yeah, that's uh, great to hear. I think they're doing excellent work. And if you're a, a veteran out there listening, thinking about starting your own business, uh, listen to our, our past episode to learn some more there. Go to the uh, Bunker Labs website. You can find it online and Google pretty easy. Uh, and uh, get that business up and going is uh, it the, from their research it sounds like one in four veterans wants to uh, got an idea to start a business when they get out as you said you got a lot of downtime sitting around to, to think up good things to go do 
but less than one in ten, it sounds like, actually get a business started. So uh, kudos to you for uh, reaching out to Bunker Labs and getting your stuff going. And for those thinking about it, I highly encourage you to uh, contact the team at Bunker Labs and go make it happen. So you've been uh, out of the military for how long now? Two years now. Two years now. And how did the planning process and everything start for the business? So you had the idea you were sitting around and started doing all the work the, the day you uh, walked off base? Or did you work on this stuff in some of your downtime before you transitioned? Good question. So... I originally came up with this idea in 2012, and after I flushed it all out in Afghanistan with all the extra time, I came back and I kind of stopped doing it for about a year or two. And I had a few friends that really loved what I was doing, so they're the ones that kind of reinvigorated me to actually try to pursue it and actually see if it could actually work. So in 2014, I was still in the military, and actually that's when I actually hired my first developers. So I actually came from, I went to college for business marketing, so I don't have any technical skills. So through word of mouth, I got a web developer in Mississippi, and they also worked with a team in uh, India. So for about a year, I worked with them, and then I put in my paperwork to get transition out of the military. So the one thing about the military that's a little different is you don't put your two-week notice in. It's you put your six-month notice in. So I did the math, and I figured, all right, by six months, my product should be out. And so I put in my paperwork. I transitioned out. But once I was out, I realized that the code, the website that was being developed wasn't working. It was really delayed. And eventually I couldn't validate any of it because I'm not a developer myself. So I moved to Austin, got some other developers that uh, I trusted and they took a look at the GitHub. So where the, uh, the depository is. And after about 30 minutes, this person told me all these problems that he projected that I had, everything was spot on. He was like almost a fortune teller. And then after that, I realized that I probably need to have a three-way conversation with this guy, my web developer, and then me. And so I just basically kind of sat back and listened. And through the dialogue, I realized that my web developer, eventually after like 30 minutes of defending himself, admitted that he didn't know what he was doing in the beginning, but he uh, started learning. But the problem with web development is if it's really bad, poorly made code in the beginning, it makes it very, very difficult to move forward. So at that point, I ended up um, firing him. And then I hired another person for the web development. So I'm already out of the military, no job. This is my full-time thing and I'd moved to another developer. I worked with this other developer for about a year. He used people from Eastern Europe. I'm not really, I don't really care on who you use as long as they do the job. But the problem with that is um, a year later, the code was still bad, nothing was working, and I was uh, preparing to go to a conference. It was called the Collision Conference in New Orleans last year. Yeah. And so I had no product, everything wasn't working. So what I ended up doing, posting something on Facebook saying, hey, can someone create some splash screens for me? within two weeks so I can present it at Collision because for two and a half years I wasn't having any luck with developers. And uh, I was able to find someone, uh, they created the screens, went to Collision Conference, everybody loved the, the business model and then the niche market that I'm actually going after. But it, all the investors wanted two things, that what is your current revenue or what's your current uh, user acquisition? But without bu building this actual platform, it made it impossible to answer those two. So I got a lot of, uh, well talk to me once you get those users. Yeah, and uh, so for, for those listening out there, uh, this is uh, the typical path that uh, most new businesses go down, whether you're building a technical product uh, where you're going to have stops and starts. Uh, you're going to have to try things uh, multiple times. This is uh, one of the reasons why I believe that uh, veterans uh, are set up very well to be entrepreneurs because as you uh, learn there in the military, you're not really allowed to give up. Uh, you have to keep on going. You have to keep moving 
it's it's one as, as you're out there and you're deployed you can't decide you know what i just don't want to go to work tomorrow like that's not an option like you, you have to show up the next day you have to give your best because you've got a team of people around you counting on you right and so once i actually left the conference i got a lot of positive feedback on people that actually really wanted the product i got two feedbacks usually does it work because I'm about to go or I just came back from a trip and that would have been really useful. And so leaving the conference, I had a lot of positive uh, feedback, but I still didn't have a product. So in order to, I made a hard decision. So I realized that I can't basically get pre-funding seeding rounds, which is very, very hard to almost impossible to get or have to self-fund it. So what I ended up doing is making that big risk. And so I ended up selling three of my personal properties to self-invest into Kumo. So now I'm Self-invest about 500000 into the whole startup, which it does help when you talk to investors because now they know that you have a little bit of skin in the game. Yeah. But uh, there was definitely a lot of hurdles throughout the entire process. So you're, you're five years into this now from uh, kind of idea through to, to business. So if I, I go online to Kumo now, can I use this as a travel planning tool? Not yet. It should be live in the next month or two. Um, okay. But I also said that a couple of months ago too. So that's the whole dilemma with web developers. You can only move as fast as they develop. I hope they're not listening, but because it was supposed to launch in January or March, but then they told me once it got to uh, uh, March, like, oh, it's April. Oh, it's gonna be June and then July. And so I actually just had a talk with them yesterday. So I had a talk with their CEO, this uh, COO. So we basically got all on the same page. You can't really make up the time that was lost, even though not happy about that. But the only thing they need to do is move forward and figure out the best plan of attack. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs need to do is don't dwell on the past, but just learn yeah. from it and then try to make the best path forward. Yeah, you can't fix yesterday. It's already done. And uh, things will launch as soon as they're ready and no sooner. Uh, and uh, we're doing um, in the tech world now uh, quite a bit of what they call agile development, where instead of planning the whole thing out project from start to end, um, everyone works on the most pressing issues uh, right now, and you, you knock those out, and you move on to the next one. You knock those out and move on to the next one, and eventually it's done. Um, and you can do some rough estimating of how many more things are there to work through to get from where you're at until a launch. But uh, often in technology, especially when you're trying to do something new, um, like consolidate information across many of these different sites and make it an interactive uh, story kind of experience where people can participate in it, if it hasn't been done before, it's hard to plan out how long will it take. Um, it's um, one where if you're going to go build a house, lots of houses have been built, and you can probably plan the whole thing out from start to end, um, and even that doesn't always go on schedule. So if you think about like the construction of building a home, um, and it's, it's, we've been talking about the web development here, if you start building the house and you find out halfway through you've got a bad foundation, so that bad code at the start, uh, you've got to go back and tear the whole thing down and start building again because you can't you can't fix the bad foundation with all the rest of the stuff on top of it. Right. And then the other challenge also on top of that, that's a really good analogy, is uh, with a house you can actually see something being built. But if you're like me and I'm a non-technical founder, they're building code that's a whole bunch of numbers and letters. And so what they're building is something that I can't really put a number to. Yeah, it's, it's hard to measure progress. They can say we're 60% done, um, but as they say they're 60% done, but it, none of it works yet. So this is more of instead of the house where maybe you see framing or you see the electrical going in, you would just see bunches of piles of stuff out on the lot, and the piles of stuff move around, and you're like, well, it looks like lots of piles of stuff. There were piles of stuff there yesterday. They're on a different side this day. Somehow that's progress, but I'm not really sure. Right. 
So leading into the conversation that we'll have uh, after the break about securing your information online, thinking about what information you're sharing and who you're sharing it with, uh, you uh, are building this travel site out. You're going to have folks itineraries. Have you thought about the cybersecurity aspects of, of this at this point in the project? Yes, it's definitely uh, on the forefront. Um, but because of the cost involved, we, we have to basically rely more on the individual to be that self-protecting. Obviously, that's definitely going to be in like the version two and three to create these uh, extra layers of protection. So in the uh, site that's launching, are you guys going to be uh, processing uh, payments for credit cards through there? Or like, how are our folks going to interact? I mean, they'll be sharing travel details through the site and commenting, but are there other... Um, sensitive types of information you guys will be um, storing? Right. So the actual platform that we're building actually is just the social platform in a sense. We're using two primary APIs. We're using uh, Foursquare's API for all the activities. So when you're actually planning a trip to a destination, it's auto-populating based off of where you're going to be going. And then once you want to actually book a flight to a hotel, we've created partnerships with uh, Priceline. So we're actually kind of reverse engineering that sense because you already you're building your platform, your trip, and basically building your experience. In the very end, you just have to press book flight, and really what it does is pulls your dates and uh, locations from your itinerary and presenting it without you going to another site to put that same information over and over again. But once you process that transaction, it actually takes you to a white label API of Priceline to finish the transaction. So really all that transaction is on Priceline's hands. So we're just that facilitator that allows you to create your itinerary with that social component. Yeah, and for, for those building a, an application out there, this is uh, the right way to do things. Uh, and one of the ideal things you can do from a cybersecurity perspective is to actually minimize your footprint. Um, so uh, that's a term we use in the cyber world. It's it kind of your surface area or your the more you build and the more you rebuild and try to do on your own, um, the more opportunities there are for a hacker to go after your platform. In this case, uh, as they build out Kumo Travel, uh, Priceline has already done all sorts of things to secure traveler information, and they're using that as part of the integration here to keep things safe. Uh, they don't have to go reinvent that wheel. Um, they also don't have to take on that direct cost or that burden themselves. Uh, so as you're building and designing things, uh, be very thoughtful to look at where are you um, taking in sensitive information and then where are you storing it, and if you have an option, um, to work with uh, partners as part of your business model. Um, many of those partners that are already operating at scale um, for payment processing, you could use uh, Chase Payment Tech, you could use Stripe, you could use uh, Braintree. There's uh, tons and tons of folks out online that do credit card processing. There's um, almost no reason for a new business to uh, directly store credit card information these days. You should allow those larger payment card the processors to store that information for you. You've been listening to Cyber Talk Radio on 1200 WAI. We're going to break for news, traffic, and weather here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, we've been talking this week about uh, veteran entrepreneurship, uh, building a, a business uh, online, uh, some of the challenges in that. And uh, after the break here, we're going to dive in uh, to uh, this from a consumer perspective of where are you sharing information online just kind of have a conversation about that uh, talk through some of the authentication and, and other issues uh, to keep in mind as you're out there um, using the internet to uh, solve more and more of the problems in your life and to to facilitate uh, some of the great adventures you may go on here in the future 
Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Tyler Moyer, founder at Kumo Travel, a uh, startup here in the uh, Texas area. In uh, the first half of the program, we uh, kind of went through his journey um, and getting the business up and doing some of the challenges uh, that uh, all entrepreneurs faced. Some of them are brave enough to talk about on the radio, and lots of folks just pretend that there's nothing that ever goes wrong. Lots of things go wrong all the time. So anyone that tells you nothing's ever gone wrong is not telling you the whole story. Uh, you can listen to that uh, on Tuesday uh, after we're on the air here. Uh, we put each episode up online and uh, on iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts for your Android device, uh, or uh, on through our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. If you'd like to be a guest uh, or have uh, ideas for future segments or topics, you can also uh request to uh, join us on the air uh, on the website there or uh, share your ideas with us for something that you'd like to hear us talk about and dive into uh, on the program. Uh, So in this segment, uh, we're going to go into uh, keeping your own personal information safe online and starting to think through uh, from some of the context of what are you sharing out there, uh, where's it at, and uh, what could someone bad uh, do with that information. So a little bit of a a simulation in a way and, and kind of just a, a storytelling hypothesis. So we'll, we'll go through and uh, hopefully you're uh, not too afraid at the end of it, but it makes you aware of some of the things that uh, can happen out there and uh, makes you a little bit more thoughtful and conscious going forward uh, so that you're staying safe when, uh, when you're online. So uh, Tyler, the, the first piece I, I want to uh, go into and we'll talk through using a kind of travel information as uh, our background here. So if you're a, a hacker uh, and I'm going through and I, I look at and I, maybe I get a hack into a travel site and get a database of here's all of the people that are traveling um, and where they're going to be. Um, if you're, you're traveling to some uh, exotic locations and I'll say exotic again we're on the air here from uh, San Antonio Texas so exotic to us is something that's not in America Um, and in some of those places uh, if they know you're going to be across an ocean they know you're not coming back for seven months the hacker could sell information of hey um, Tyler's got an apartment he's still going to have in Austin and they could go squat in that apartment for six months, clean up after themselves and move out. And maybe you'd never know that they were there. Right. That is a possibility. Um, but on my side, on Kumo, you don't put the, the, that level of information. So the level of information that you'd only put is what, what city you're leaving from. So as long as you don't uh, put anything, well, there's really no other place on the site that you could actually put. This is my address and this is my phone number. It's based, very, very basic information. So, but if you use it, use different information on different platforms like Facebook, um, then yes, you're going to run into that problem. Yeah. And this is one of those that you get thoughtful about the, uh, the, where you're at and what's going on. And some of the the check-in apps had this problem uh, a couple of years back where, uh, people were using the check-in information to then break into, uh, someone's house. Uh, so they would see that you check in at a restaurant across town and they know that they've got 30 minutes or an hour to break into your house and then get in and out before you, you get home from dinner or get home from lunch or uh, you check in at the movies and people were doing this check-in on a, on a completely open and public uh, thing where anyone can see anyone else that's checking in. Um, checking in in like a Facebook world, in, if you're posting it uh, there, look at your, your settings and permissions. Um, so if it's got a little globe picture, 
that's public. Anybody can see that check-in, your location information, uh, uh, all those pieces are being shared. If it's got a, a little group that looks like a, a, some little people action figures up there uh, when you're making the post, that's only going to be visible to uh, your friends on Facebook. And in that case, if your friends are going to use that information to break into your house, you need new friends. Quickly. Yes. So sharing location information, uh, that's just one type of uh, activity and uh, one type of information that uh, many of us voluntarily share online to stay in, in contact with our, our friends and family. Um, as you, you go into a, a travel website, and this is why, like with Kumo working with Priceline, Priceline does, they're a big publicly traded company. Um, they have a security team that does a lot to secure information, but you're sharing uh, your passport number, maybe a driver's license number, uh, you're sharing uh, dates of birth, you're sharing uh, lots of, of very sensitive information that could be used for identity theft or other uh, malicious purposes. And this uh, will let me segue into talking about a couple different types of information. And this is uh, one that I'm going to advocate here that everyone as consumers talks to the businesses they interact with, the online services that they're using, and uh, tries to get them uh, when they're using this paradigm incorrectly to to fix it so um, usernames um, we all have them across all these various services um, usernames are who you are it's it's your identity um, your username could be an email address in that case you can change that email address um, your username could be a social security number you could go change a social security number if you're using anything that you have to log into that uses your username as a social security number and it's not the social security administration uh, you need to ask them to really change that. Uh, it, so some things like your email address, you can go get a new one, but it's kind of difficult to change. You could go get a new social security number, but that's a real big pain, and you only want to do that if you're the victim of identity theft. Um, then there's a second category of information, um, which are passwords. And passwords should not be uh, your, uh, an identity. They should be something you know. Uh, so it should be a phrase you made up. Uh, it should be uh, something stored in a password manager. But a password shouldn't be uh, something that identifies you. Uh, so this is one where a number of sites uh, are starting to mix this now as we move into biometric uh, authentication. And uh, we did a, a program um, diving specifically into some of the aspects around fingerprint analysis with a guest on uh, an episode here uh, just recently. You can listen and learn more about the in-depths of biometrics uh, on that rebroadcast or replay uh, by checking out our website. But biometrics as a password, if uh, you get an account compromised, uh, the first thing they tell everybody to do is go change your password. Uh, but you can't go change your thumbprint. Like your thumbprint is your thumbprint. Your thumbprint's not something you know either. None of us actually know what our thumbprint looks like, really. I mean, we can hold it up. We can look at it. But, I mean, I couldn't draw it for you if you asked me to. So the, the thumbprint is something you have. Um, and that something you have, the same thing like a, a passport, that's something you have. That should be used as a username or an identification. That should not be a password to get into an account. Uh, so this is an area, if you see folks... Um, building applications that are using a thumbprint as a password, um, as soon as that gets hacked once and I have as a bad actor your thumbprint, I could log into every other service that uses your thumbprint to authenticate. Uh, so this is, is one that 
it sounds like a great idea right now. Tons of people are using it to get into their phones. Uh, both Apple and Samsung uh, support thumbprint or fingerprint scanning. Um, I mean, I guess we could get our accounts compromised 10 times and we can work our way through all of our 10 fingers because uh, you could just decide to use a different one to authenticate with. But after you've had 10 different uh, account breaches and all of your fingerprints are now in the hands of hackers, you can't go change your fingerprints again. Um, well, I mean, not without some crazy cosmetic surgery or some like thing you would see out of some spy movie where they put their hand on a hot plate. So uh, going through, uh, yeah, if, if you see websites or your bank or anybody else trying to change your password to just a biometric and not a biometric plus some information you know that you've made up um, that is your own unique piece of knowledge that you can decide to change at any point in time very easily um, that should not be your thumbprint alone should not be the thing that authenticates you into an account uh, that should be your username and it should have to go along with something else so uh, if folks are getting that paradigm wrong, please push them to fix it. It's going to take a collective voice of all of us out there so that we don't make this big uh, biometric mistake uh, by making those passwords out across all the services we use. Um, now, on the flip side of all of this, you could decide to share nothing, uh, and that makes life very difficult. So it's not really an option for us. And with, with Tyler, with Kumo, you've kind of thought through and had a bunch of discussions with some of your uh, early adopters and folks that you've uh, had conversations with as you guys have built and designed the, the product. They have to share some information in order to get good recommendations, to get, have people be able to help them plan out their, their trips. Right, yeah, so it's a little bit of give and take. And as I, I speak with a lot of people through pitching and different events, the number one feedback is security. How much information is gonna be out there? And then I also kind of caveat that with them and saying, with less information that you provide about where you're going and what days you're gonna be going, the insight that people are gonna give you are gonna be less accurate. So do you want more accuracy and more feedback that's gonna make your trip better? Um, or do you wanna have it more restrict restrictive, but then the suggestions may not even be relevant? because what they're gonna recommend in the summer versus the winter was gonna be different. Weekday, weekend is gonna be different. So having that extra level of information, which I guess opens up a little bit more security risk, but it allows you to have more uh, more accurate responses. Yeah, and then if you were coming to Austin from uh, Texas here, from somewhere overseas, uh, and you didn't know what South by Southwest was, and you, you just were planning your trip along, you thought it would be nice to be in Austin in the, the springtime, um, and then you start getting into the actual booking the hotels and the flights, and you're wondering why are hotel rooms $700 a night? Right. And I've met a lot of people that actually came to Austin not knowing what South by Southwest was. And when I met with them, they're like, I can't do anything. Like everything is booked, everything is shut down. What, what can I do? So those people would be primary examples of having a little bit of information out there will help them plan that trip because obviously what you do is going to help dictate your experience. Yeah, and, and getting to those places in the, the right time. Um, like I'm, a, I'm a big fan of jazz music, so I've um, managed to uh, sneak my way around to a few different cities during their jazz festivals. So if you wanted to uh, plan to uh, try to hack me or, or break into my house, if you uh, followed along uh, different jazz festivals, you may have a crap shot of a uh, chance to uh, go into my house and hang out while I'm not in town, except we've got a great uh, jazz place here now jazz texas uh, so i'm traveling less to jazz festivals now because they bring in all sorts of amazing jazz acts uh, just a few miles away from where i happen to live 
uh, and in the military, you got to travel to uh, a number of different places. Um, sometimes in the military, they fly you on uh, commercial airlines to get to and from your deployments. Uh, sometimes you travel via other methods. Are there any um, travel safety tips that the, uh, the you learned uh, in your time there with our armed forces? One of them would probably be pack light but also it's what you dress as. So obviously when we travel international, we're not allowed to wear our uniforms. We don't want to se- uh, separate ourselves uh, from the crowd. But really there's not many um, things that really the military taught me in terms of traveling, but basically just travel light and um, blend in with the crowd. Yeah, and I think those are, are two uh, great tips just on the travel side as well as uh, if you're out there um, online if you're doing things that are not going to draw attention to you not make yourself a target um, your odds of getting uh, identity theft or other things happening to you are much lower uh, it's a, as we talked some about sharing location information if you're going to go out and have a nice dinner um, you could choose and if you wanted to share that information publicly because it was a great restaurant you wanted that to be out there for everybody go ahead and make the post after you finished eating you're back at home you can post it up then like if your friends see it an hour after you're done with dinner, that's great. No one's going to ju- come join you at the restaurant. Um, not, I mean, it happens every once in a while, but not really a thing. And like, if your friend's going to join you there, send them a text message or something. That's a, a friend only level type of uh, communication that there was a, a CEO of a, a company that uh, I think many folks had seen. Um, and they've got a good product uh, that can help you with the identity theft stuff. That's called LifeLock. Uh, and the uh, there's stories out there all about. So he put his social security number up on billboards and said, go ahead and try to steal my identity. And he made himself a, a target. He was protected by his own product. But um, there were eight different times in the, one of the articles I read that had gotten through where someone was able to get a credit card in his name or something else. It got caught very quickly because he's got identity theft monitoring and everything else. But um, no matter who you are and, and if you do things to make yourself more of a target um, standing out in the crowd, uh, things are more likely to happen with you. That that travel light or pack light piece, if you've got just a, a backpack or you've got one piece of luggage to take care of, uh, much easier to keep your eye on that to make sure it's with you at all times because uh, it, it doesn't take very long if you've got a, a bag, uh, a, a carry-on, and another big piece of luggage that you're, you're dragging around uh, for uh, one of those to disappear. Maybe inside the airport, not going to be super likely to get stolen, but as you're um, out on the street waiting to get a ride or you're um, in some area with a crowd around, uh, it's pretty easy all of a sudden for somebody to grab one of those and disappear um, back into that crowd before you even notice that it's gone. When talking about luggage, I would highly recommend people not to carry luggage that you have to drag, but ones that you have to carry on your back. Because I've seen too many times through like traveling through Europe or traveling through random streets in Asia, Dragging something with the rocks and the the, uh, the streets, it's a lot harder. And then having to carry that thing is a lot more lopsided. So having a uh, backpacker's backpack is definitely recommended when traveling in general. Yeah, you know, it makes it, it much easier to continue on and to, uh, yeah, ensure that you're keeping all that stuff with you safe. Because is you're you're out there and you if you have the bag that happens to have some of your confidential information in it stolen. Uh, that stuff's out there, and when you're on a trip having to try to call to cancel bank accounts or to get new cards sent to you or to um, even maybe if you've got your reservation information in um, a bag or you've got the charger for your mobile device in the bag that is stolen and now you're um, in a place that you're not familiar with and you're looking uh, for a cell phone charger so that you can go get checked in to know where your hotel is next. So you, you've been 
working on Kumo for five years to help folks uh, get their travel and trips planned. Um, if you would have uh, kind of gone out and, and launched uh, a few years earlier from now, think uh, better, worse, this is a, we'll do a little crystal ball uh, here and travel back in time as we wrap up the program. Right. So I think that right now is probably the most ideal. Two years ago still would have been fairly ideal, but I feel the reason why it's more ideal now versus earlier is because Kumo travels rely heavily on social uh, media, social uh, presence. So the ability for people to communicate and people to communicate with people they may not know or meet people that they've never met. So through applications like Tinder, Bumble, Craigslist, where people are just meeting random people, that might have been a little bit uh, not wanted maybe 10, 15 years ago, but now that people are more accustomed to it, I think this is the best time for Kumo to launch. Yeah, and especially if you're helping folks plan complex, uh, long global trips, uh, the fact that now uh, much more of the world is starting to get online to get better quality internet, uh, we're getting even into products like Facebook, automatic language translation built in. There's been Google Translate on the web for quite a while in your web browser. So getting to and from websites, uh, you can see things in different languages. But being able to facilitate the type of information uh, that Kumo needs online to be successful and that people need to be able to uh, interact is all coming together now. Right. So if you've been listening to uh, Tyler talk about what he's building, you're like, man, this is going to changed my life because I was about to spend six weeks planning this trip out myself and now I just want to use Kumo. Uh, how can uh, folks go find out about uh, when it's going to be available, what's going on with it, and stay in touch with you? Right. So the best way of doing that is going to be going to our website. We have a pre-register sign-up. So all you have to do is go to kumotravel.com, which is C-O-O-M-O travel.com. And there you can actually uh, sign up for our newsletter. And then from there, you'll be notified once we do launch, which is scheduled to be one to two months from now. And then from there, you'll get all the updates uh, for any major activities. Thank you for uh, joining us on CyberTalk Radio this week to uh, help uh, educate folks on uh, what you guys are working on, but also to help them uh, think through some of the topics about what is a username, what's a password, um, how should they be holding uh, their information uh, out there online, confidential, what to share and when, and uh, good luck in your uh, upcoming launch, and I'm looking forward to uh, having enough free time to use Kumo to uh, plan out a world trip for myself. We're going to close this week uh, with a little bit of a monologue. Most of the time here on CyberTalk Radio, we're interviewing guests and uh, talking about things that they're interested in or areas that they have background knowledge and expertise. Uh, in this segment, I want to talk about a, a resource out there that if you're interested in cybersecurity, uh, if you're a, a professional today and you're not um, following this or paying attention to it, you, you should. Um, if you're a, a business to the point where you, you have uh, a full-time IT staff, at, even at one person, uh, useful to have them uh, subscribe uh, to this and pay a bit of attention here because it, it the uh, U.S. government's done a great job of summarizing uh, useful security alerting information. Uh, we're all paying for it with our tax dollars, so this is one uh, that you should put to work. And many um, large enterprises will go through and they'll take uh, this feed that I'll share some more details on about here in a moment, along with different uh, industry feeds and others together. They'll collate all that into a report specific to the applications inside their enterprise. Um, but uh, thanks to the U.S. CERT, um, which is U.S.-CERT, uh, and you can find them online at us-cert.gov. 
uh, everyone, even the smallest business where you've got a, a single IT person now can have uh, regular real-time updated security bulletins. Uh, they can, they'll cover uh, vulnerabilities uh, for you. Uh, they'll break them down by application. They will uh, categorize them in high, medium, low, or uncategorized. Uh, they'll provide links out to uh, all the places that they've gone to uh, collate and pull this together into a, an alert update and bulletin for you. Uh, and with that, will uh, really help everybody um, get a leg up on um, information that is known out there to the bad actors in our world. And uh, those folks um, do a great job of staying on top of the latest um, exploits and issues because that's how they make their money. Uh, they make their money by getting into your computers uh, and asking you for ransom. They make their money by getting into your computer and uh, making you part of a botnet and renting your computer out. Um, turning your computer into a hotel for hackers effectively. So that's uh, what happens in those botnet worlds. You get um, their software onto your computer, and then your computer is rented out to people to do whatever they'd like to do with it. Um, or they could do something that's, uh, I mean, it's the minimum amount of what I'll call nefarious, where they'll break into your computer, and then they'll use your um, computing resources to mine for Bitcoin, uh, and while that mining for Bitcoin creates something that's it's just new Bitcoin, which is not anything illegal in itself, um, they're effectively stealing your electricity and your computing power, um, and they can run your power bill up that Bitcoin miner will um, peg your computing CPU out, and your computer draws a certain amount of electricity while it's sitting around not doing anything. Um, if it's cranking to mine for Bitcoin, it might draw four or five times as much electricity as it does uh, just sitting around at idle. Um, that's also, um, in this monologue, I'm going to tangent a little bit here because it's kind of fun, but um, if you don't need to have your computer turned on, you probably should just go ahead and turn it off. If there's a computer you use once a week at the house to uh, check your email, to uh, go online and buy some something from shopping, there's no reason for it to be left on, um, connected, uh, and plugged into the Internet for the rest of that week. Um, you're going to save yourself a buck or two in electricity, but you're also going to eliminate your computer as a target from the Internet. And in the event that your computer already does have hackers on it, it'll limit the usefulness of uh, your system to them. Uh, that U.S. CERT uh, alerting uh, also covers social engineering scams and uh, other things that are going on. So uh, over the summer here, uh, if you've received a call from the IRS uh, or somebody purporting to be the IRS, uh, there's a scam that's going around right now where maybe they really aren't the IRS. Uh, so uh, one of the tips and recommendations there is if somebody does call saying they're from the IRS, uh, take their name, uh, take their information, ask them to give you a case number, do not give them any information, hang up the phone, and then call the IRS back uh, on the phone number that's posted on their website at www.irs.gov. Um, or look up uh, if you've got a, a local uh, contact. You can call the IRS agent in your area. If there's already a case that you actually do have with them, uh, there'll be uh, someone assigned to that and call that person directly, letting them know that um, if that hacker had your specific case number, there's some information leakage to report back, but often they'll just make up a fake number. Uh, they will try to sound as official as possible, uh, but they uh, will also be trying to keep you on the line. Uh, they won't want you to hang up and call them back. Uh, so that's uh, a good tip uh, just to make sure if, if someone's calling into you saying that they are from somewhere, uh, even if the caller ID on your phone says that they're calling from that phone number, um, that caller ID can be spoofed and forged. Uh, so it's not necessarily a guarantee. So even if the caller ID says they're calling from the IRS, take down the information and 
call them back at a phone number, and that way you know you initiated the call. Uh, it's much more difficult for an attacker to uh, man in the middle and capture a phone call uh, when you're dialing outbound. If you've uh, not been able to listen to this complete episode, you can catch it on Tuesday uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. Thank you very much again for joining us this week, and a thank you all out there for listening to Cybertalk Radio.